Good evening, brothers and sisters. I'd like to invite you now to join me and open your Bibles to Jude, the epistle of Jude, toward the end of our scriptures here. Right before the book of Revelation, we have the epistle of Jude. Our sermon text this evening will be Jude, verses 14 and 16. But I want to pick up the reading of the scriptures in verse 11. We'll begin our reading in verse 11. By way of reminder, um, what we're going to be reading from verses 11 to um, the end of our text here is, remember I said a couple, I mean, it seems like months ago now, but um, Joel has, Jude has outlined his letter in such a way that there are these too many sermons within the text. The first one is is a warning sermon, and the second one is a sermon of woe calling to the peoples, the disobedient, those who are false teachers in the midst of God's people, Jude pronounces this woe. And I showed you that in, this, in the preaching of this, he would use three Old Testament examples and then draw upon that and illustrate from those examples and then teach the people what his intention was about showing those, forth, those examples to correct, to instruct, and to teach. And then he would kind of wrap up that little portion, as we saw in um, the first sermon, that in the sermon of warning, he uses a contemporary um, apocalyptic text to illustrate his point. The text that we have in front of us tonight in verses 14 through 16 are, uh, is that last Jewish apocalyptic text that he's going to use to illustrate the final point of his sermon of woe. So let's begin now by the reading of Scripture from Jude 11 through verse 16. Jude 11 through verse 16. And I want to remind you that this is God's most holy inspired word given to you, his people, to build you up in your most holy faith. So let's pay heed and really pay close attention to what the word of God says to us this evening. Jude verse 11. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain. And abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reeves at your love feast, as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, Wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all And to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things that the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. This is God's holy word. Let's give him praise and thanks for his word to us, his people. Our great and glorious God, we again thank you that you have spoken to us, your people. 
You have not stuttered. You have not tripped over your words. You have spoken very clearly throughout the ages to your people. And you have made your will known to us. You long and desire for your people to hear the word, to believe the word, and to obey the word, that we might have communion and fellowship with you. Lord, we thank you that you've spoken so clearly through your son, the word made flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that there are those who heard him preach and speak and beheld his glorious death, burial, and resurrection and proclaimed his ascension to us that we might hear and believe the gospel and be saved. Lord, we give you thanks that we have heard. Lord, many of us have heard, but not yet believed. Lord, if there's anyone here tonight that has not yet believed, would you wake them up to the reality that there is a coming judgment and that they would believe in you? Lord, there's some of us here tonight that have heard and believed, but we're not walking in obedience. Would you wake us up? Stir our hearts to love you more that we might faithfully apply your words and work it out in our lives for your glory and for our good. Lord, all of us are in somewhere in that category. Having heard... Lord, help us by your spirit to believe and by your spirit to obey, we ask in Jesus' precious and most glorious name, amen. As we come to our text tonight in verses 14 and 16, we need to remember that it is hanging on that woe. Woe to these people, woe to them. Remember who them is. Jude says to us in verse 4 of Jude, he says, there are certain people who have crept in unnoticed. They've slithered, they snuck in unnoticed. They're in your midst. They're among the people of God. And we need to mark that out and remember that this isn't an apologetic sermon for people that are outside the church. No, Jude is writing to those who are within the church. And there are some who have crept into the church unnoticed that are teaching false doctrine, that are living false lives. He says, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. And here's how he defines them. As ungodly people, that's who they are. People who live their lives saying one thing, but living another way. What is the content of their life? They're ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. And deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. They pervert the grace of God. They twist the gospel so that they can live however they want to live so that they can have a conscience that can be numbed in silence, that they can just do what they want to do, live how they want to live, and be okay with it. But they also, mark this, they deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. They deny him with their life. They deny him in their actions, and they're in the church. And Jude says to them in verse 11, Woe to them. Take heed to hear that God has marked you out, ungodly people, as those who pervert his gospel and deny the Master and Lord, our Master and Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord has marked you out and he has spoken a woe. The woe has been spoken, but there's something else that needs to be heard. For those who are disobedient, who are rebellious, who are ungodly, there is a judgment to come. 
there is a judgment to come. Verse 14 says, it was also about these, those people, the ungodly ones, that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied. We know of Enoch, that faithful prophet of the Lord in Genesis chapter 5, who lived in fellowship with the Lord. He walked with the Lord. But Jude tells us that he wasn't just one who had fellowship and devotion and a, a relationship with God that was so intimate that it says that he was actually taken up to the Lord. He, wasn't, he didn't die. He was taken up. He walked with God, and one day he was no more. He was taken up. And Jude says that he also prophesied. He spoke forth the word of God. He told what God would say to a people that he lived in the midst of. And what we have recorded here is a message from Enoch, the seventh from Adam, that man who prophesied. Now, what we have before us in the text, you see in your ESV translation, potentially you have verse 14, you have, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones and continues on through verse 15. What's interesting about this text and what we need to pay close attention to is Jude is quoting a text that is very familiar to the people of God that he's writing to. But it was also very familiar to the Jews of the first century. They knew these words They heard these words. They were familiar with these words. How did they receive the words is one of the questions we need to ask, just in terms of introduction. This message from Enoch can be taken from in three different ways. This message was passed down through oral tradition and given to the people of God. And someone at some point in time wrote it down and recorded it, and it was distributed through the people of God. That's one option. Another option would be that uh, by divine inspiration, the Holy Spirit just took the words of, of Enoch and gave them to Jude. And Jude says, the Spirit gave me this, but he doesn't say that. He's, he speaks of this as if it's very familiar. That, he's, that He says that it's, he just writes it out as people had heard this before. So it wasn't some just special revelation just to Jude. That's one of the options that some commentators and uh, scholars have taken. Another option is, and this is a controversial option, but it, I don't think it need be controversial. Because actually Calvin in his commentary tells us, don't contend over this issue. He says, I've presented one way. I've presented one way of looking at this text. But if anyone disagrees with me, I'm not going to fight with them about it. There's ways of reading this text because what we also had was this apocalyptic Jewish literature known as the Book of Enoch. Now, it is not apocryphal. It's not an apocryphal text. Um, None of the churches other than the Ethiopian church received it as canon. There's just one church in all church history that received this canon. That's the Ethiopian church. So it's not a debated book to be in the apocrypha. It's just a a document that was widely uh, distributed throughout the first century. People were familiar with it. And someone took the name of Enoch and recorded these words. And Jude takes them up and says, these words that you've read, that you've heard, that you're familiar with, and you've read it in the book of Enoch. And how do we know it's from the book of Enoch? Because verses 14 and 15 are direct quotes from the text of of the book of Enoch. Verbatim. He's saying what the book of Enoch says. And if you want to go Google, it's Enoch chapter 1, verse 9. 
You can go and you can read it, and there it is right in front of you. It's just there. And in the first century, people were very familiar with this book. Now, here is the important thing. Just because we quote someone does not mean that we endorse everything they say. You know that, um, that little social media site we have these days called Twitter, or excuse me for the hip kids, formerly known as Twitter X or something now? Um, you often will see this. Someone will quote, someone will say, a retweet is not an endorsement. Have you seen that before? Like, if, if I retweet something you say, I'm not endorsing everything you say. I think that Jude knows that there's something in this familiar text that these people have been reading in their contemporary setting, and he says, that's true, but a retweet is not necessarily an endorsement. What this says, it is true, and it's right there, chapter 1, verse 9 in the book of Enoch. You can, you can see it for yourself, and Jude quotes that, but here's the important thing. It's not that he's quoting this apocalyptic book. It's that he's read something, he's heard something, he's received something that is true. And it's true because it's God's word. And God's word is for all people, for all time. Wherever it is found, if it's God's word and it's true, you can use it. If it's inspired from the Bible, it's inspired truth. But maybe you've read it in something that's not the scriptures. It can be edifying truth. And Jude says, here's something edifying. But he puts it in our Bible, and this part becomes inspired for us. So we need to pay close attention. Jude uses this contemporary source, and he says, this is true. What is it that is true? Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones. The Lord is coming. The Lord will come and visit his people. The creator, sovereign, almighty God will come and visit his people. Now, for those of us who are living underneath the gracious reign and rule of King Jesus, we rejoice, we delight, we celebrate this fact that the Lord is coming again. Praise the Lord. Rejoice in the, the truth that the Lord is coming. Pay attention. Open your eyes. Behold, the Lord comes, but he doesn't come alone. He comes with ten thousands of his holy ones. He's coming with a multitude following behind him. But what is this multitude coming with the Lord to do? We need to pay really close attention here. Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment. The Lord is coming again to judge. Does the Apostles' of Creed not say that he, will, he who is ascended and is sitting at the right hand of God the Father, from there he will return to judge the living and the dead? Does our confession not remind us that the Lord is coming again to judge the wicked, to judge all peoples according to their words and their deeds? The Lord is coming, and when he comes, he will judge. We should rejoice. We should look forward to the return of the Lord. But there should be and the people of God, a rejoicing, but also a humble rejoicing because he will judge us according to our works and our deeds and our words. But think about those who are opposing him and he's coming to judge. 
there should be fear in their hearts. Not the kind of fear, filial fear of a son with a father, but the kind of fear with a slave and a master who the slave has been rebelling and disobedient. That kind of fear when the boss is coming back to the, the business place to hold you accountable to the work that you've done and you've been sloughing off, that kind of fear. Or worse, a king is coming back to his people, but people have been rebelling against him, causing a ruckus in the community, trying to stir up opposition to the king's return. That king's coming back, and he is going to bring his judgment. That kind of fear should be in those who do not submit to the Lord. Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones, and he's coming to execute judgment. We don't just say this just to be like, yes, that's true. We need to be reminded of this because, yes, it is true, matter of fact, but are you ready for it? Are you anticipating it? Are you mindful of the judgment to come? Because we can look at this and say, yeah, the Lord's going to come and judge the wicked. But pay close attention to the text. Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all. On all of us. A universal cosmic judgment will occur. We will all stand before him and he will judge. Believers and unbelievers alike will face judgment. Are you paying attention? As you sit there, are you thinking about what is to come in your future? Because the word of God says, it will happen. Behold, he comes. He is coming, and he's coming with 10,000 of his holy ones to judge all. But then he gets really particular, and it says that, to execute judgment on all and to, here's an important part, to convict all the ungodly. To convict, to, to bring a judgment, to bring a sentence on all the ungodly and all of their deeds of ungodliness that they have com- committed in such an ungodly way. And on all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Behold, the Lord is coming, and when he comes, He will convict. Notice all the uses of all and ungodly, how frequently he repeats this. He's going to judge all, but he's going to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And on all of the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. There's not one ungodly deed or word that will go unpunished. There's not one ungodly deed or word that will go unpunished because when the Lord comes, he will convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds and all their harsh words. What does it mean, really, to be ungodly? Well, if you want to know what ungodliness looks like, just look at how people live in the world that you and I live in. Ungodliness is, in a simple way of saying it, just the easiest way I can say it, ungodness. Without God in mind, 
without God in the heart, without any kind of reference to God, living as if God does not exist. They might be flat out confessional atheists who say, I live in the world because God does not exist. That's one form of ungodliness. Then there's the form of ungodliness that says, I don't know if a God exists, but I'm just going to live my life. I took the wager. I ended up to live as if he doesn't exist. That's one form of ungodliness. Then there's another form of ungodliness that says, oh, yes, I believe in the Lord. But they're functional atheists. They live, live as if he doesn't exist. And that should be a warning to us. That should be something that we pay close attention. We say one thing, but we live out another thing. Because remember, those who Jude is writing about are inside the church. They sing the songs we sing. They confess the words we confess. They, they show up at the times and places where we show up at times and places, and they're in our midst. They kind of look like us but watch their lives. They're living ungodly lives, living as if God does not exist. And what he says to us should be a warning because notice what he is saying is ungodly. It's their lives, their deeds, their actions, the works of their life. They're ungodly. What they do in their day-to-day -day life, they do as if God is not in existence. They live lives of debauchery. They live lives of selfishness. They live lives of self-seeking, their own way, doing their own thing according to their own wisdom. Are you living your life in such a way that your actions, you're living, acting, working in the world Mindful that God is there, that God sees, that God knows. Are you thinking about God as you work with your hands? Are you thinking about God as you sit and watch the telly? Television, I'm, I'm an American, I promise. Are you thinking about God when you log in late at night to do a little extra work, but you see that thing on social media that leads to another? Are you living as if God exists? Are you living as God exists when you are speaking around the table? And what are you talking about as a family? Are you living as God exists as you drive on 465? Whoa, that's too close to home. I'm one of you. How often we just putter away through our lives, just kind of just go, but we're not giving thought to God. To live without giving thought to God is to live an ungodly life. And God will come and judge all the deeds of ungodliness. How are we living? Are we mindful? Because there are those who are in this church that Jude is writing to that live that way. And he's saying, woe to them. There's a judgment to come. Pay close attention. Not only to them, but also, brothers and sisters, this is written for our edification as well. Pay close attention to your life as well. Are you mindful? 
of the Lord in all of your deeds and all of your actions. Now, none of us are perfect, and we thank God for his grace, but we do not want to belittle his grace by not thinking of him and just saying, oh, well, he'll forgive me in the end. No, that's the sin that these people are committing. They pervert the grace of God. And they deny the master and Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, he'll be my master and Lord someday. Is he master and Lord today? He'll be gracious to me on that day. You need his grace today. Don't pervert the grace of God. Don't deny our master and Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord will come, and when he comes, he will judge all of the ungodly deeds of the ungodly that they've committed in such an ungodly way. That point of emphasis is important for us to pay attention to. They just do it without any restraint. They live as if there are no consequences. They act as if there is not a judgment to come. They live forgetting that there is a judgment to come or not being mindful of it. Brothers and sisters, I think just as much as this is a message for the ungodly who would just reject God's gracious reign and rule, it's also a message for the godly to pay close attention to our lives. Don't forget, Christian, behold the Lord comes to judge. But listen close, unbeliever. The Lord comes to judge all the ungodly who live in such an ungodly way. He will judge their deeds, but Jude continues on and says, he will also judge all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. He will judge their deeds, but he will also judge their words, the words that they've spoken against the Lord against his Christ. The Lord will judge all of the harsh things that ungodly sinners have said against him. It causes me even now to tremble. It should cause all of us to pay close attention to what's going on as we speak words. And when we speak on behalf of the Lord? Are we speaking true things that God has said about himself to each other? Or do we create little images of a God that we hope exists? Do we talk about the real Jesus or do we talk about the Jesus we want? Do we talk about the king of the kingdom or do we talk about a kingdom without a king? Do we talk about the real Jesus because he is the one who can save, but he's also the one who will judge. And to represent Jesus wrongly is to heap judgment on ourselves. How do we speak to one another when we speak about the Lord? Man, I'm really battling this sin. I'm trapped in this sin, you might hear a friend say. I am time and time again struggling with the same old things. And you know what? I've just... I've just given up. I'm just going to depend on the grace of God. What do you say to that person? Well, God doesn't judge me. You shouldn't judge me either. What God are you talking about? 
The God of your own imagination or the God of scripture? Well, God doesn't hold me to that standard. What standard are we talking about? The standard that man has made or the standard that God has revealed in his word? See how important it is for us to speak about God as he has revealed himself, not as we want him to be? Because the Lord will come and he will judge all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. He will judge those who've misrepresented him. And that should cause us all to be very humble, very dependent on the word when we speak about who God is. Because there are those who take up the mantle of authority. There are those who take up the mantle of leadership. There are those who may take up the mantle of being an expert in the, in the text of scripture, but they misrepresent the Lord as he's revealed himself. That is so important for us to mark out because the Lord will come and judge all of those things. And notice that Jude says that they're harsh things. They're false things. They're untrue things. And they're harsh because when they're said, they're said against the Lord, but they're often said to people and that could lead them astray. We need to watch our words. Behold, the Lord will come and judge. But the ungodly again, just like in their deeds, they speak on their own authority, on their own behalf, based on their dreams and their own evil desires. They speak to serve themselves, not to represent the king of heaven. Jude goes on in verse 16, and he shows us exactly what these people are like. And he says, these, the ungodly, those who pervert the grace of God and deny our master and Lord Jesus Christ, they are grumblers. They're malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. He just calls them out. What does it mean to grumble? Well, if you remember your Old Testaments, you know that the people of God are often guilty of grumbling against the Lord. And what does it mean to grumble? It means to speak against the Lord in your heart and in your words. To speak against God. To grumble means to gripe and complain and moan against the Lord. You do not like the way that the Lord is leading you, so you grumble against him. You don't like the way that the Lord is providing for you, so you grumble against him. These are grumblers. They speak against the Lord and against his anointed, the Lord Jesus. But they're also malcontents. They don't only speak against the Lord. They speak against their situation. They're not content with the way their life is going. They're not happy in their place, so they're always grasping for something more. They're not content with the position and the responsibility that the Lord has given them, so they're always reaching for something else. Malcontents are those who just are not content, and so they're grabbing for things that don't belong to them. That's who these people are. They see someone who has authority, and they want that authority. They're not content with their own position. They see someone who has some access to uh, someone of influence. They want that person's access. They're not content with their position. 
They're always plotting and planning to get their own way. They grumble against the Lord, speaking against him, but they also position themselves in such a way as to get a foot up, get a foot in the door, try to make a way for themselves. Toxic networkers. In Nashville, when I worked as a, as a singer-songwriter, networking is important. You need to have friends so that you can get a band together, so you can make a record. You got to go talk to a producer. And what do you got to do? You got to talk, talk about yourself all the time, get people to buy into what you're doing so they can join up with what you're doing. And they call it ruthless self-promotion. This is toxic, ruthless self-promotion. But there's another way that's toxic, and this I learned in Nashville too. You walk into the room and you see, oh, that guy's in the room. And you go up to him and you just start talking and you start talking about who you are, why you're in town, and why he needs to get in on what you're doing. We call that germing. It's just bothering a person who does not know you and trying to sell yourself to them so that they will buy into what you're doing. That is what it means to be malcontent. And why do they grumble and why are they malcontent? Because they only have their selfish desires, their sinful desires in view. The only thing that matters to them is getting their own way. James warns us about these kind of people. He says that they're in the church, remember. James says, What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Everything is about you. That's who the ungodly are. They're seeking their own. They're not seeking the glory of God. They're seeking their own good. They're not seeking the glory and good of Jesus Christ. They are leading others astray by making it all about them. That's who grumblers and malcontents are, and that's their old goal, is to get their way. But then Jude says they're loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Everyone that they know is an opportunity to get further on in their life. The people that they know and the people that they're around are seen only as potential Servants to their cause. You're going to help me get on with life. And then they find particular people and they show favoritism. They speak words to them to win them, winning words. They influence them in such a way as to gain advantage. They're not after people. They're after positions. They're not after friendship. They're after funds. They're not after fellowship. They're not after community. They're after being the head honcho in the people. They're after being the main event. They're not there to serve. They're there to be served. They are the opposite of the Lord Jesus Christ. One who comes and serves. And in his serving, he lays down his life. And as he lays his life, he is exalted and given the name above every name. Because he suffered and died, the Lord showed him to be the servant king who comes and gives himself so that others might live. Not the one who comes and consumes people so that he can get on with his thing. Ungodly people are seeking their own 
advantage. But the gospel is, the one who came the first time came to serve. He came to give himself, to lay down his life, to die the death that you deserved, to be buried in a grave grave that had your name on it, but to rise victoriously so that he could redeem and reconcile you to God. The one who serves is the king that we worship. Those who serve themselves are the ones we need to be paying close attention to and say to ourselves, woe to them. Woe to anyone who is living with this intention in their life. Pay close attention to the words. You heard as we sang Psalm 81. If my people, if my people, if my people would just listen I'm speaking, I'm pleading, I'm calling out to them. If they would just turn to me, I would save, I would deliver, I would fulfill all the desires of their hearts. But yet, the people of God rejected them, rejected the word of the Lord. Woe to them. And woe to us if we don't pay close attention to these words. Because the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly. How are you living in the world? Are you living as if there's a king who reigns in glory and mercy and grace and kindness toward a people who turn themselves to him? Are you living in light of the reality that God is there. His son has come and he has saved all who turn to him. Or are you just going through life, doing your best with what you got to get on with it? How are you speaking? Scroll through the last 24 hours of your text. What is the content of your conversations? What is the content of your phone calls? What is the content of your emails? Have you been speaking about the Lord? How have you been representing him? The nice, pretty Jesus that makes it easy for people to follow? Or the Jesus who comes in his grace and his mercy, but also makes demands of his followers? How are you living? How are you speaking? We need to be paying close attention to this because the Lord will come and he will judge all. All those who have faith in Christ have this blessed hope. Your sins and your failures and your sometimes half-hearted disobedience has been forgiven if you've turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. But for those who are living as if God does not exist, who have not been rehearsing the fact that the Lord will come to judge. Turn to him now because he is coming. And when he comes, he will judge you. And how will he judge you? Based on your words and on your deeds. Are you living and speaking as if he is real? Because he is.
Or are you doing things just your own way to make much of yourself? Woe to you. Turn to him. He's here now, and he's able to save now. And I say this to you with so much emphasis now, because I know this is true too. Behold, the Lord comes, and he will judge. Trust him. Look to him. If you're trusting him and looking to him, rejoice. Serve him with gladness and speak to him in truth. Speak of him in truth. We have much to delight in. But if you're not trusting him, turn to him now because this woe is for you. Let's pray. A great and glorious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us, your people. We pray now that you would awaken our hearts to hear and to believe and to trust in the son that you have sent, our master and Lord, Jesus Christ. That we would receive the grace that you have given, not the kind of grace that we would conjure up in our imaginations and hope to receive, but the grace that you offer now in your son, Jesus Christ. Forgiveness of sins, a clean conscience, a new life. Lord, would you give us that grace so that we might live and act in the world under your lordship and that we might speak representing you in the world and not be found guilty, not be found to be like the ungodly, living as if you don't exist. So Lord, by your word and through your spirit, would you bring salvation to our hearts that we might walk according to your word, living in your world, awaiting the judgment to come, knowing that you'll be gracious to your covenant people, but to the ungodly, there is wrath reserved for them. Father, Do this work in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.